ladies and gentlemen, DWE has uh, taken over IKEA Christmas adverts. So you know what that means, right? Just shut down Christmas. It's over. It's it's, it's done. Like no more Christmas adverts. It's over. Bit of a In the words of Public Enemies, Chuck D, bring the noise. From the Fifth Element Podcast Network, I am Charlie Taylor, and this is What's Good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you've all had a good week. Um, it's been a very productive week for me, and actually, and I'm really happy about that. And uh, yeah, so I've come out feeling good. Uh, another another week gone, another week uh, feeling feeling half decent. So uh, we shall see how that goes uh, as we as we go along with life, as 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 we always do. Um, Actually, a couple of announcements. Um, I might I might talk about this on Digging in Digits most likely uh, next week, but uh, I'm going to see Blue in Exile in two days, and I cannot contain my assignment. I can I cannot contain it. Uh, if you if you haven't listened to Blue in Exile, please go listen to Blue in Exile because <laughs> in my mind they're like the one of the best one MC one producer duos of all time. Um, and also, speaking of digging digits, we are we have already begun our top ten albums of the decade. Um, there have been a lot of people uh, starting to do theirs, and we are doing the same. Uh, it's going to be a four part series, so we've done number ten to number eight uh, in the pre- in in the most recent drop. So if you want to go listen to that and go listen to my go see what my top ten is. Um, be tuned in for the next uh, four weeks, and uh, we'll, and uh, I'll see you on the other side of that. And if you have your top ten albums of the decade, please let me know. Um, I've obviously we obviously kept it as strictly just hip hop. Um, there are albums I would throw in if they if they weren't uh, if if it wasn't just hip hop, but uh, obviously because it's hip hop podcast, we just kept it to hip hop. So um, it's very hip hop centric. Um, but just just so you know, that's not my that's that's not the. <laughs> If if we, if we included other genres, there will be the list would be a lot different. But um, regardless, I'm very happy with my top ten hip hop albums of the decade, and they're very personal um, to me. It's a hundred percent subjective list. So um, if you don't agree or don't understand my choices, I couldn't care less. Put it put it put it pretty simply, and uh, I won't do that for yours. You know, what I mean, this is the point of subjectivity. This is all an exercise in subjectivity as well. So. Uh, but yeah, if you want to go listen to Digging Digits, please go do so. Um, and also, thank you for listening to it, um, obviously, because, I mean, I don't know why I'm hyped up Digging Digits. I get more <laughs> that show gets more more listens than this does, so I don't know why I'm hyping that up. But anyway, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been an okay week, I think, I think uh, for me personally, so I can't really complain. But anyway, uh, today we have only three topics, but if you've gathered by the length of the show, which I'm guessing is probably going to be over an hour... Um, we have, uh, even though we have three topics, it's going to be very uh, stacked because we also have a special guest to help me tackle a particular topic, a uh, uh, music topic that I'll get into in the middle of the show. And uh, yeah, but we'll get to that when we get to that. Um, just so, just so you guys know, I'm just giving you a heads up. Even though it's an hour, it's only three topics. So, uh, and you've probably gathered by description anyway. I don't, don't know how. I don't know how you guys consume podcasts, but most of the time, I you know. I usually look at the description and then press play, press play. 
Um, but you guys might just press play because you're such fans of the show. You don't care why I talk about it. You just, you just want to hear me talk. Hopefully. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a big reach for me. But, uh, but anyway, uh, with that said, we shall get into the show. Formatsies before we begin, of course. We have the email, Twitter. Oh, we have the IG. We also have the Facebook as well. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting. Uh, regardless of what you listen to on the Fifth End Podcast Network, if you listen to any of our pods on the Fifth End Podcast Network, thank you very much. And, uh, uh, you know, support one, support all. That's basically what it is uh, in in this kind of uh, in this thing I'm doing here. So uh, if you listen to one, you listen to all of them in my mind and you support all of us. So that's uh, so big ups to you on that. And uh, yeah, without further ado, let the music blast, let the beat drop. And let's get into the show. In a week where Australian police find $200 million worth of mess <laughs> hidden inside Sriracha bowls, that is a... I mean, I mean, I could, you could probably look up these kind of stories every day or every week. Like, just these fascinating, uh, ingenious ways of drug smuggling uh, across country. And the fact they put it in Sriracha bowls is, is just, it's just, it's just great. It just makes me want to, ah, believe it was just great. And also, uh, Remembrance Day has been and gone. Obviously, that was uh, Remembrance Sunday and also the 11th. Uh, but it's obviously in different days, uh, the closest Sunday. You guys know what Remembrance Day is. Come on, that's not, that's not like, like we don't know what it is. Um, and yeah, that's obviously been and gone uh, since Sunday. And uh, a lot of um, politicising about it, to be honest. Um, I didn't really... Um, well, I was I was asleep, <laughs> to be completely real. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just... And that's actually the topic that we're talking about in the first topic of the show, which is life. And is about uh, is about Remembrance Day and just the concept of memorialising war. And, yeah, it's just an interesting conversation that I just want to kind of just dip my feet into because I've always been a bit, um, no, I don't want to say, like, um, hesitant to not recognise Remembrance Day or anything like that. I don't want to say it like that, but I always want to... I always like to see it in different lights, if that makes any sense. I don't want to see it just as, like... Because, you know, most people just wear poppies, right? And then they just wear poppies. You know what I mean? And when some people don't wear pop, It's just interesting that, you know, you don't... Ha- Even though you, there's some people that don't have... They don't wear poppies, but they're also very into... Uh, when when the day comes, when Remember Sunday comes, they're into it, Right. But then there, there might be people that wear poppies, but, you know, they might not, they might be working during uh, Remember Sunday, you don't know, and they might be travelling. They're not going to stop and stand in the train and just wait for that, uh, excuse me, wait for them a couple of minutes uh, as, as they're on the train to work, you know what I mean? So, I just find it, in, I just find it interesting how um, I would like to, if I, if I had, like, the clout to do so, I'd like to, like, put some research into how we, how people look at Remember Day now. Because I think it's been, I think, I think it's the optics have changed in the past. I think ten years or so. Um, that's in my mind, but um, you might you might feel a different way. And this is obviously very UK centric, so I'm not really asking anybody from uh, 
uh, I don't know, from the US or whoever, or, or if you're listening outside of the UK, obviously this is kind of a big skip for you. But, um, you know, so it's, I think it's something worth talking about um, just uh, in terms of thinking differently. So let's get into this particular opinion piece right here. This is by uh, Polly Toynbee uh, via The Guardian. Uh, strictly opinion piece, um, so it's her opinion, and uh, just wanted to, you know, it's, it's weird I'm doing that, isn't it, that I'm, like, trying to prepare you guys for maybe offence, like, it's the, it's, it's the same as, it's the same as any other opinion article, like, if you disagree, you disagree, don't get triggered, you know what I mean, so I don't, I don't know why I'm trying to baby you guys and prepare you for what's going to be said, and I don't think it's even that, you know, out there, but let's get into it anyway, it's, just, it's called, um, Surely it's time to lay to rest the empty, vainglorious memorializing of war. So let's get into this. Uh, remembrance of things can be uh, remember of things past can be a British burden. As each year passes, the memory distorts, rewrites, and reshapes wars to suit our current moods and needs. History is usefully pliable. As Remembrance Sunday and Armistice Day approach, it's obviously already gone, but it was obviously posted before uh, the article was obviously published before that beforehand. Uh, this is a good time to consider how long we should go on remembering. What is real meaning? Last year, the centenary of the end of the First World War was intensely moving. In some towns, young men dressed in uniforms stood gravely outside the houses where a father or son had gone to the trenches, never to return. The mass cascade of poppies first installed at the Tower of London in 2014 to mark the centenary of the beginning of the war has been travelling the country ever since. It came to a final stop in November last year outside the Imperial War Museum's London and Manchester locations, powerful symbols of sacrifice and loss. Most families have tales to tell of grandfathers' and great-grandfathers' roles in both wars. Word of mouth and family lore passed down to generations, but often coming with handed-down distortions. Memory doesn't last long. Few families know of ancestors defending us from, uh, from Napoleon, or falling in Crimea or the Boer War. There is little memory uh, even of Korea or Malaya. Malaya? Malaya? I forgot how to say it. Uh, as real memory fades, it is time all this artificial memorialising was laid to rest. Some see all this remembrance as a necessary pacifist reminder of the merciless futility of unlovely war. Others see it as a patriotic rallying cry to sacrifice for crown and country. With guides and scouts marching through towns with flags, curiously there seems to be... Uh, curiously, there seems to be more emphasis on all this nowadays than there was when I was young, when the wars were more recent and memories personally painful. The iron rule that everyone must wear a poppy in TV studios is a recent imposition. Producers dash to pin one on any guests remiss enough to have left theirs on their coat in the green room. Uh, there has been an explosion of fa- uh, mainly unwelcome war films and TV series. Every great actor vying to do their Churchill, non-stop archive fo- footage, rehashes, Dunkirk epics. Our finest hour rehearsed too many times in a sentimental London fog and the rosy glow of misty rubbish history. It's time to shake the tins for veterans, but surely... Oh, sorry, it's fine to shake the tents for veterans, but surely last year was the time uh, to say goodbye to all of that, uh, to not look to look ahead, not look back. Uh, the ultimate remembrance absurdity was the 2004 erection in Park Lane of a maudlin uh, war memorial to animals engraved. This monument is dedicated to all the animals that served and died along with British and Allied forces in wars and campaigns throughout time, unquote. No, they did not. They no, they didn't. "Quote unquote," serve. Why not put up a memorial to all animals who have been served <laughs> upon a Jesus? Okay, uh, 
Let me just repeat that sentence uh, just to start getting because I got caught off guard by that. Why not put up a memorial to all animals uh, who have been served up on dinner plates to sustain us, quote unquote, throughout time, unquote. Uh, what Remembrance Sunday all too often signifies is this. Never forget that we won two world wars, while conveniently forgetting that victory required uh, the great heft of US and Russian allies. The golden age of history is always just before our own living memory, a better yesterday. There lies the root of a Brexitism, I shouldn't have said that, I've, I've, I've broken my own rule, uh, that needs to remember it it was us alone against them across the channel. The prime purpose of the founders of the European Union was, quote-unquote, never again. Uh, yet somehow the somehow the exiteers uh, managed to turn all that on its head, making trade wars followed by actual war no longer completely unimaginable. How might that happen? The sinking of fishing boats, accusations of unfair su- uh, subsidies and dumping, of protectionism and hostile barring of a neighbour's exports. That's how it starts. Giving a talk this week, the contemporary historian Anthony Selden said too much remembrance was holding us back. Look how losing wars had forced Germany and Japan to rethink their identity and their past to create for themselves a new future, while Britain, the victor, wallowed in its old triumphs, forever pulled backwards, dreams of lost empire were enmeshed in those victories. Too little was taught of the dark side of colonialism, of slavery, and the wealth built from it. Instead, there is harping on about anti-slave abolitionists. These words of wisdom come from a man who, as a historical advisor to number 10, was a leading member of the First World War Centenary Culture Committee. That committee did well, but last year should have finally laid to rest uh, all this empty, vainglorious false memory memorialising. Okay, so the last few paragraphs in my mind obviously stick out to me personally, because obviously I've talked many times about how... You know, we are so happy to talk about the victories we've had as a country and in our country's history. But heaven forbid, if anything's, uh, if we're even closely considered the villains or took an L somewhere, move aside, move aside. Let's talk about First and Second World War where we actually won. You know, let's let's talk about that. And you know, and uh, and some people love to talk about. Um, the British Empire, but they don't enjoy talking about, you know, the completely dark side of it, which was probably, I don't know, 90% of the whole thing, <laughs> you know, and 10% is obviously the enlarged bit that we they were all taught in secondary school. It's kind of, it's kind of jarring in that sense, and I've talked about that several times, but you know, I'm cool with I'm cool with the whole day itself. You know, I'm not I'm not exactly saying that Remembrance Day should be abolished or anything. I don't think that's what Miss Toynbee's talking about at all. But I do understand the um, but I do think as I'll say I'll say that. But I do think that while we enjoy you know uh, watching these documentaries and watching these films, I mean that's that new Sam Mendes film where it looks like it's done in one shot. You know what? I want to watch that. I'm not really a fan of war films. I I find them all samey, to be honest. Like you can't. It's hard to remake. It's, it's hard to like you know, make war um, not glorious, but um, uh, different towards all the other war films. You know, what I mean, it's just it's a bit hard. It's a bit. It's a it's a, for for me personally looking at it. If I was like writing a war film, I probably just wouldn't write one because I was just like that's it's the same as this. It's the same as that. But anyway, I'll digress. Um. 
even though all this um is all this is covered, I do think that it is worth looking at other things as well as in similar light. Um or at least in a light. <laughs> you know, we, we we we're happily, you know, dedicating our entire broadcasting day during during Remembrance Sunday, you know, if you hop on BBC One it's just all remembrance, okay? And I'm cool with that, you know, that's that's fine. If it, if you wanna if you wanna do that all day, do that all day, it's fine. You know, you don't you don't have to watch it. There are many there are millions. There are hundreds of other channels you can go on if you don't wanna watch all this remembrance stuff. That's fine by that's fine by you, right? Um you can do what you want on that front. You can choose, you can take it or leave it. And you can invest into it as much as you want. You can be one of those um you can be one of those volunteers that, you know, go outside of people's houses to represent the uh uh, the men and the men and boys that went to uh, uh, went to the trenches. You can do that if you want, right? <sighs> but with all this, I do wonder, in the same way Miss Toynbee's talking about that, we do in- really enjoy um, talking about you know how we made these sacrifices for the greater good, dun, 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 and we don't we don't we don't check ourselves on anything else. You know, I've said in, I've said in, I've said for years. You know, there's, there's, we we hardly even acknowledge, and I don't think governmentally we have acknowledged many atrocities that we did before the First World War. You know, in the in the previous century, uh, before the twentieth. You know, we don't talk about the nineteenth century that much, and I think we should in equal measure. If we're really going to do this, let's do it properly. You know, like like a like it was uh, put in the article. You know, Germany and Japan wholeheartedly just look at themselves and just go like, "We did this terrible shit, and we can't let that happen again." You know, for <laughs> it's recognizing what you you know. Think of yourself. Think of think of yourself as Britain, right? Think of think of your person as Britain, right? You are Britain, right? You have it on your chest, Britain. Okay, United Kingdom, right? So. If you see your, if you're going to celebrate uh, the the First World War right, and the Second World War and all and all the good stuff that you know the greater good stuff that happened right there right, but when a certain person comes to you goes, hey Britain, what happened to that um what happened to that uh, what's it called what happened to that colonialism that you were doing uh, wait a few a few years before that they were going like well we don't talk about that. We, we, I don't talk about that, you know. I'm, I'm past that, you know. I'm, I'm more about the good stuff that happened to me, you know. what I mean, doesn't that sound weird to you? Now we're doing that as a whole country, you know. what I mean, so, I, 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 like I said at the start, I don't mind all of this, you know. I'm not against it or anything. I'm not one of those nut jobs that go like, um, in on any side where like, you know, I'm either like. Uh, oh, we we need to do this and you know and put our hats on and you know salute the troops and all this stuff. I'm I'm not one of those people. I'm not one of those people, and and I'm also not one of those people that just go like, eh, ditch it all, ditch it all. We need we we need to move on and look forward. You know, I'm, it's cool to look back, but if you're gonna look back, look back at the bad stuff as well as the good. That's all I ask personally, because I'm completely fine with looking at um, Remembrance Sunday. I'm completely fine with recognizing that as a national holiday okay but if we're gonna do that for the good stuff we need to do it for the bad stuff as well because it's just 
kind of poisoning our minds into in terms of what our country is and what our identity is as a country. You know, <laughs> we may have won two world wars, but we just did we we did some terrible shit uh, before that, and that also needs to be recognised. And once we do that then we can round ourselves out as a country much more and our identity can be much more well-rounded, similar to a Germany and similar to a Japan. It works. It works on a human level and it also works, in my mind, on a country level. Okay, so we move on to music, and ladies and gentlemen, we have a little special guest because I am not—I'm uh, not that person to um, talk about Drake unsupervised. So, <laughs> so we are—we uh, are going to be talking about uh, Drake and obviously his uh, uh, booing at uh, Camp Flog Nor. And to help to help me do that, we have uh, Mr. Carter Fowler, ladies and gentlemen. Round of applause for everybody. No, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, but hi, hi, Carter. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great, Charlie. You know, and I think that's a, probably a good idea. You should never be left unsupervised when people are talking about Drake. <laughs> Just best for your interest, best in my interest, best for everybody listening to the podcast. Yeah, yeah probably. <laughs> uh, so, uh, I don't know if you want to, I don't know, just a little bit, little bit about yourself before we jump in. Yeah, sure. Um, my name's Carter. I'm the founder of Central Sauce. Uh, we have the podcast In Search of Sauce that Charlie works with us on. Um, ooh, ooh, ooh. And uh, yeah, I love music, spend an unhealthy amount of time every day and every week uh just going through it reading listening and uh working with everybody to make awesome content over at central sauce some of the best music journalism you'll find anywhere so that's what i do and i also listen to an unhealthy amount of frank ocean so Uh, i have i have a lot of uh a lot of angle angular perspective to bring in on this one (laughs) okay so uh let's set the scene um, so I woke up to this news. Uh, I, I, I got up, checked my phone, uh, just went hopped on the Twitter and Drake was trending and also, uh, Camp Flognor was trending and I was like, okay, what's going on? And then <laughs> funny enough, most of my, most of my Twitter uh, TL was just, uh, uh, our, our mutual friend, uh, Ryan, Ryan, shout out to Ryan, uh, shout just all Ryan. over my Twitter retweeting uh drake and camp flognor tweets and just responses towards what happened and i was just like okay let me just look up what happened and i will admit ladies and gentlemen full disclosure i laughed i i laughed at the, i laughed when i first saw it <laughs> i was like that is crease that is funny as shit i'm not gonna lie so i just want to just want to be real keep 100 on that front <laughs> but uh <laughs> we'll, we'll, might as well start with that uh, what was your initial thoughts on the what what went down well i gotta say first off i uh came across it the same way ryan is a great bellwether of anything happening in pop culture especially if it has anything to do with hip-hop so like i'm not even gonna plug central sauce anymore you guys if you want to know what's going on in the culture just go ahead and follow our guy (laughs) ryan gar on twitter Uh, (laughs) but i popped on saw all of his shit uh retweeting Mm. it and everything 
And yeah, you know, one of my first thoughts was to laugh, of course. It's great whenever you see anyone of that profile and stature kind of taken down that way. You know, it's the same way even when like LeBron James was leaving and people were like burning his jerseys and stuff. It's just a fun thing to it's see. It's a dumb thing to see on that front. But someone sure. who's like at the top every now and then, someone at the yeah. very top not being treated yeah. like a savior, you know? I mean, but they spend uh, their money on that front. But <laughs> yes, that's true. But you know, one of my uh, one of my first thoughts was that is something that would never happen outside of LA. Okay. LA music fans are some of the most like entitled festival goers. There's a reason why Coachella has the reputation okay. that it does. And I don't think that that would have happened anywhere else in the world or even in the U.S. I did not think of that. Yeah, I did not think of that because obviously when I see when I hear Coachella and I because here in here in the U.K. there is whenever Coachella comes around, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of (laughs) U.K. centric memes that come about where like they show a Coachella picture and like what's the worst thing that can happen at Coachella and then the worst thing that can happen in the U.K. Mm -hmm. festival and bro the 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 worst shit happened. (laughs) The worst shit UK festivals is absolutely disgusting. Like the horror stories that my friends have and loads of other people have is disgusting. Like the worst thing you could get at Coachella is I don't know, maybe a drug trip, maybe like <laughs> at minimum. But even in that case, it's just it just seems so calm going to Coachella. It's, it, I I feel like that'd be the only festival I can go to because I personally don't like camp festivals. I just find that. I just find it nasty as shit, dirty. I ain't camping. I ain't camping. Ooh. I'm not a camper, right? But anyway, uh, I gotta say, Charlie, if you're gonna go to a camp festival that is not a camping festival, I would not pick Coachella. Oh, really? Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Right fair enough. there. Yeah, I would probably send you to Governor's Ball or Lollapalooza. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. But good. That's fine. We don't have good to get into that. But yeah, that's a great. That is a great actually <laughs> a wrinkle to have. Actually, I never actually thought about the fact that it was in LA because I was going to. I was thinking it more of. Um, in the similar way of just like entitled fan bases, but I was going, I was going on a more racial element. Not gonna lie, I was going, I was going, I was going on a more you know entitled white kids and you know, you know them kind of them kind of fans and that kind of fan base of Tyler and uh, Frank Ocean and all them like, and all them lot. But um, yeah, that's a that's a the location element I think is quite interesting. That's a great way of uh, picking it up. But um, you obviously said. I mean, that's kind of ground zero for that hype beast mm. kind of mm. music fan, you know. Wearing, like, the high-waisted pants with the oversized belt and, like, the T-shirt got off the mm. Goodwill rack, uh, you know, tucked in, everything <laughs> like that. Like, that's ground yeah, zero. Exactly. And, you know, I can when I see those kind of people, I'm like, yeah, you definitely listen to Tyler. I can definitely see that. <laughs> it, it's, it's just, it just, it's just, <laughs> they just have an aura about them. It's a... It's a it's the same when it's the same when you see like a I don't know like a a the baby fan or like or them or them artists that always have the money phone, you just know what they dress like. <laughs> Those kind of fans dress like is it's, they they we there are biases there are uh, what's the word there are stereotypes to this and uh, you know. Well, it's like wearing your team's exactly, jersey. Exactly, you know? like you know what an LA Lakers fan yeah. is about, like. <laughs> You know, you know exactly what of they're course. saying in their head, like uh, LeBron ADs, oh yeah, uh, any, all of that kind of stuff. But I uh, you get off into NBA talk. Don't get me started, bro. Don't get me started. <laughs> all that being said, I do think that like this is, you know, people have been clowning mm-hmm. on Drake for a long time, even since he was like first starting out. Or even the memes that come out, remember, this like... is out of out of. <laughs> 
Drake's the type to, you know, like, cry on the pillow when his girl, like, you know, whatever. When he sees yeah. a girl on his Instagram, whatever. You know, that was a great meme series for a while. And people have been clowning on him for a while. But it's taken mm. on, like, a new chapter. And I think it all began when, um, I don't, I think Lift Yourself was before this whole Adidon thing, right? When Kanye dropped uh, Lift Yourself? Or was that afterward? Yeah. I think it was before. But... Regardless. Mm. Since that kind of turn of the page, since that turn of the page, like I guess uh, almost two years ago now, um, when Cruc- or when Pusha T like crucified him with Addy Don yeah, and the yeah, just over uh, you know, just child over and yeah. not writing his own music, and then Kanye piled on with the lift mm. yourself and just dropping that beat that Drake wanted so badly with just like poop scoop shit on it, then. You know, it's just taken a different level, and I don't know if Drake, first off, would have been booed anywhere outside of L.A., and second, I don't know if he would have been booed off in that way before the whole Adidon chapter began, because I think people just saw Drake as a more, almost as someone, it's like inauthentic, like undeserving in a way, which has never yeah, really been and, you know, a, this is this a is a This him. is a addition to like a whole other hip-hop conversation of getting booed right, because there would be plenty of artists that would, that would, that would like, uh, that cut their teeth in the 80s, 90s, even the 2000s as well. Where you know they pro- they probably got booed off plenty of times, plenty of times. It's it's kind of just like how it is most of the time, and yeah. I think the th- conversation now in terms of how we consume music is obviously people have their own fan bases now to the point where they could have a you know they can do a Dreamville fest, they could do a Camp Flognor, uh, they could do an OVO fest, and it's fine, you know, and they can mm. have their own little bubble. That wasn't the, that wasn't really the case uh, in in the earlier years of hip hop and in, in any other music to be honest. So, I think this is kind of a new thing where if people if you if you're not listened to by these by these people who are here for a very very specific subset of hip hop artists or any or R and B artists or whatever. Because you look at the lineup beforehand, you know, it's like people like her, Summer Walker as well, and obviously Tyler and that. And obviously the whole, the reason why this kind of went up to a whole new level is because of that special guest. Now, I will say, if if you were, I think Tyler mentioned this in one of his tweets, uh, all cap tweets about this in response to all this. One of his many, you know, many all cap tweets. <laughs> his many all cap <laughs> tweets. You know, if you're going to say special guest... And it's Camp Flognor, and Frank Ocean has been dropping tracks recently. <laughs> a person that you know hasn't dropped much stuff in the past ten years. He's been very sparingly. Uh, he's been dropping very sparingly in his in his career. Y- y- when they say special guest, and it's Camp Flognor, and it's Tyler's Festival, people are going to think it's Frank Ocean. They're, they're going to have a they're going to have a inkling of it's going to be Frank Ocean. Now, obviously, for most Frank Ocean fans, it would it, logical Frank Ocean fans, I should say, they would think that well, he doesn't really perform. I think he, I think he, his last performance, like proper performance uh, in a concert or whatever, was like two years ago, twenty seventeen, something like that. It was yeah, it was like two and a half years ago. I was there. Yeah, like yeah. Oh, 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 all right, all right. <laughs> little, little flex, little flex. Okay, okay, little flex. All right, all right, yeah. So yeah, you know. Putting logic towards this, 
it wasn't going to be Frank. But because it saw this, and it's kind of a, it was kind of a perfect storm, depending on who you are, of um, <laughs> of, uh, of just things happening. And the fact that it was Drake, if it was, I don't, I don't know, it feels like, yeah, this is the thing. It's because it was Drake, I think was, uh, I think it has a little bit to do with it. Um, and then there was other conversations about people saying Frank is, uh, Drake's better than Frank, and I'm just like... In what way? Um, I, I want to question that. In what way? But yeah, it's a uh, it's kind of interesting. I mean, I don't storm, think either I of guess. them have ever considered themselves competing with each other. Exactly. Like exactly. sonically or stylistically because, or for fans. It's because or it's such a wide berth. Yeah. Yeah, but I'll say two things. Cool. One, I think after that happened this past weekend, Frank may never perform at Camp Flogna again. Because you think yeah. I will say there have been rumors about. Frank doing surprise performances at Camp Flogna every mm. year for the past four years. And even okay. those, there weren't question mark headliners on the mm. set list. There was nothing to suggest that there was a surprise mm. guest. But every year, coming from different sources, spreading in different places on the mm. internet, like there's a huge subsection of fans that are going to Camp Flogna convinced that Frank Ocean is going to be performing there at one point mm. or another. But... After that happened, it kind of puts Tyler in a tough spot, right? Because I'm sure that was really embarrassing for Tyler on a lot of levels. And also, it kind of leaves Tyler at this point where if he did bring Frank at any point in the next couple years, it would almost be like him like kowtowing to these people that really embarrassed him and that he's been shitting on Mm. so much. You know, and he's almost in this place where like, the, what he would have to do to bring Frank to perform, he's just, like, not going to be willing to do anymore because the optics. Mm. Because he wants it to be very clear that this is mm. his festival and not everyone else's mm-hmm. festival. And so, I don't know if we'll ever get to see Frank at Camp Flognog. Yeah. I mean, this is... Yeah, this, this is point. kind of... This is kind of, like, adding to that conversation about just how echo-chambered fan, a fan base can possibly be. Um, if you, if, if, I don't know if it's like a, it probably is a Frank Ocean Reddit or something like that. If someone just goes like, I'm getting word, Frank Ocean at Cat Flognall, he's a special guest. Everyone's going to flock to that. Just go like, ah, everyone's going to get hyped. I can imagine, I can see this, I can see it, how it, how it could possibly, could have possibly went down where if somebody said it, another person said it, it's just word of mouth in that, in that point. And it's all going to hype up yeah. that little, that little subset, that little cocoon of just like fan base. And yeah, and that's obviously the conversation about you know the of Tyler Cowtown to his fans. That's another problem. Like if you're gonna have a fan base as ravenous as a Tyler fan base, as a Frank fan base, you, you, they can they can br- they can bring you up as high as you want. They could also take you the fuck down if they really want to. You know what I mean? And I don't know if they're gonna be as gracious as as. Uh, uh, in 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 some cases, but uh, yeah, I th- I think the fact you gave that possible, uh, what's the word, uh, alternative reality, mm, I can I can see it, I can I can see it, I can yeah, see Tyler I, fans just going, you know what, fuck you, Tyler, I can I can see it. Well, I think they're gonna keep coming back to Tyler, but I think Tyler is gonna, you know, at this point, a connection with Drake is more important than what those fans think of him because Tyler's bigger than that now. Tyler, it doesn't just have, like, a tiny yeah. little isolated fan base. Tyler's huge. He's global yeah, he's not, at this yeah. point, you know? Exactly. Um, 
Exactly. So. I will say something though. Those people who were booing on there, you were making that point about it being like a very kind of specific subset of hip hop and R and B at Camp Flogna. And that's true. I yeah. guarantee you, you know, 90%, maybe even higher of the people at that festival would not put Drake in their top five artists if you were to ask them who their top five artists. But I guarantee you all of them listen to Drake. You can't not I listen to that. Drake. If you, I mean, at least if you live in the States. Uh, try me. At least if you live in the <laughs> States, it's impossible not to. You know, every album yeah. will out, he has one song that blows up like meme style, you know, and you see all over <laughs> social media. You hear it on the radio everywhere. You hear it, you know, at restaurants, bars you go to. And when someone else ends up playing it, uh, you know, in their car or at your house or at a party, you're not like, turn this trash off. You're like, actually, I've heard this song. This one's pretty good. I don't listen to Drake, but I'll sing along with this one. You know, it's just not an option. Every, all of them listen to Drake, even if they wouldn't call him uh, one of their favorite artists. Yeah, exactly. Which is the funny thing about them um, booing him off the stage. Because I guarantee you he has at least a few songs up his sleeve that you would love to hear live. You talking to me? <laughs> <laughs> you talking to me? <laughs> I mean, Maybe everyone that paid to go to Camp Flog now. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing, isn't it? If you don't, if you, here's what I would do, right? If this was ha- if this was happened, right? So I don't know what time Drake came on, but if it was just clearly it was just something like late at night, I'll be just like, yeah, I'm cool. I can I can leave. Yeah, I've had a good day. It's been alright. I'll, I'll I'll head off early. You know, I'm I'm fine with that. Well, I don't know why people stayed and booed <laughs> and just like you, you just this it's so logical. Like you just leave <laughs> if you, if you don't like it, then go leave and you know go tweet about it. Go have a tweet round if you're like, oh Frank didn't come. Yeah. I'm so angry about that. Like I don't I don't really understand that. Have you been to a music festival before? Like an all day one? Uh. Yeah, yeah, I've been to an all-day festival. Um, yeah, I've been to a couple. Um, so, you know, like, at the end of the day, the headliner, usually, yeah. especially if there's a major headliner, there's not even another show going on anywhere else in the festival oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, mm-hmm. like, people don't want to go home. <laughs> like, they're still holding on to the day, even if they're holding on to it, but with, like, toxicity yeah. and booing and shit, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, uh, I guess. I'm, I'm, I, I, I went to, like, a... Uh, what was it? I went to like British Summertime in Hyde Park and mm. only went there for Kendrick, to be honest. Like Kendrick was there, it was like the first possible chance I could see him in the UK live and I was just like, shit, I'm going, fuck it, I don't really care about the rest, to be honest. Yeah. I think like the other the other main act that was like straight after was like Florence and the Machine and uh, one in hindsight, I probably, like if I had the the one day to, to go to the festival just for the festival mindset, mm. I would have probably stayed for Florence and the Machine. That would have been quite fun. But um, I was just like, come here for Kendrick. Kendrick went, I'm going. See you later, guys. And yeah, then yeah. I stopped off. And then Kamasi Washington was on another stage. And I was like, oh, God, then I'll see a bit of Kamasi Washington. And then after that, I left. So, you know, it, obviously people have different uh, ways of thinking in terms of what they're going for a festival for. Yeah. I go to a festival for a certain acts. And once I see the acts, I'm good and I can leave. Uh, exactly. But obviously people like the whole experience and going for that. But anyway, um, another thing I just wanted to get onto <clears throat> was like uh, the concept of, we've obviously been talking about fan bases and stuff like that, but I wanted to ask you this and I already asked you off wax anyway in, in warning, but what, <laughs> how can you tell a artist that your fan base is trash? Because this is a perfect example of 
this is just trash behavior from a fan base. I don't care what you say. This is, a, this is some. This is a trash behavior from a whole fan base. You know, I mean, it's not just a little group mm-hmm. of people. Whatever. No, there was a lot of people that were going <laughs> when Drake was going. Do you want? Do you want me to do the show? No, like there was a lot of people saying that. Yeah. <laughs> it was, I had a lot of no's there. And it would have been different if Drake went up there and like said some shit about Frank Ocean, you know, <laughs> or like did something and everyone was booing in reaction to some behavior or something yeah. Drake said. I will give, but they I will give Drake credit on they that were front. Just booing at Drake. I will give him credit on that front. He did just keep it 100% <laughs> professional and go like, all right, then, cool. I'll see you guys later. He could have just went like, he could have just gone on one, but uh, he he left. He left, yeah. and that was a. No, I give I give him credit for that. But yeah, how do you tell an artist that your fan base is shit? Because it's your fan base. It's your people. You know what I mean? How do you yeah. do that? I mean, it's a tough question. I think typically the artist knows before anyone else does, because. The artist interacts with this fan base more than anyone else. Even people in the fan base don't even get to interact with other members of the fan base that often, unless it's just a few members in their friend group. Exactly. You know, and then it's just such an insular yeah. experience. But I think it's almost impossible for an artist not to know that their fan base is, you know, trash <laughs> for one reason or another. Now, sometimes the person, the artist themselves, are trash, and they don't really care because that fan base is a reflection of themselves. Mm. But sometimes artists spend a lot of time trying to develop this really devoted stan level mm. fan base, mm. and then it grows into something that is like way beyond. It's like Frankenstein's monster, <laughs> you know, and they don't even recognize yeah. it anymore. I'll give you a great example: Brockhampton. Mm, okay. yeah, yeah. Right. So Brockhampton came about like two years ago now. And started building a super dedicated fan base all online, mm. based on like a bunch of content they were putting out online, very similar to the Odd Future model. And I went to their uh, a show on their very first mm. tour. It was in a room of like I think it was a 400 capacity event. Um, so there were like 400 people there and eight performers on stage. You know, it's like it's the most performers I've ever seen for an audience mm. that small. Um, and everyone there was felt like they were in on a secret. You know. And they do so much to encourage this level of mm. fandom. And then it just grows and grows and grows to the point where after they had their, um, I don't even know what to call it, just uh, snafu, I guess, with uh, one of their members, Amir, with like some sexual mm-hmm. allegations against him mm-hmm. and everything. I don't think they would have ended up kicking him out of the group if not for their fan yeah. base. Because they've spent so much time cultivating this fan base um, that feels like they have some kind of stake, some kind of ownership in the group. Mm. And that's where it kind of gets dangerous is when the fans feel like they are like equity yeah. partners. <laughs> They're part of the board of directors. And in yeah. your brand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so they went crazy on Twitter, et cetera, and Amir ended up getting kicked mm-hmm. out of the group. And in the months since then, I think three, and all these guys used to be tweeting all day, every day, connecting with their fans online was the lifeblood mm. of their brand. And now I think only three of them still have active Twitters anymore. Most of them just left completely because they just couldn't even stand their fans anymore and what they were getting, the kind of abuse that they were getting from these people who have their posters mm. all over their room. And I've seen it myself at Brockhampton shows since that first one. I've been to, every, I've been to a show at every tour that they've gone mm-hmm. on so far 
Um, I went, that first one was Jennifer's tour and then it was the love your parents tour and then it was the mm-hmm. iridescent tour. And I tell you, man, each time the fans got worse and worse and the crowds got worse and worse. And after this most recent show, which was their biggest one, I think there were probably 1,500, 2,000 mm-hmm. people there. These kids, man, were so <laughs> annoying. They're all like 17 and they all feel like they're equity partners in the brand and they're all super mm-hmm. entitled. And, you, and after that one... My girlfriend and I looked at each other. We've been to every show, every one of those shows together and said, we're not going to another Brockhampton show. Oh, really? It's done. It's done. Wow. It's just not going, it's, it has nothing to do with them. It's entirely the crowd and their fans. Yeah. And that's an example of it, man. Like, and Brockhampton knows damn well their fans are like that. That's why they deleted their Twitters. And I don't know how you couldn't know unless you're just so socially obtuse or disconnected from your fan base and you don't even know or you don't do shows and interact with them in any way. Mm. I mean, like Kanye probably has no idea who what his fan base is like because yeah, like when's can, the last time he interacted with his I fan base? Definitely, yeah. Three, four, five years ago, maybe. Yeah, nah, nah. Well, you but know, that's a, he has no idea. That's, a, but. that's the thing. Like that's a good example in terms of Kanye because he because obviously Brockhampton is very inside the social media era. Kanye came into it and he was already established mm-hmm. years before. So yeah. that blindness just comes from the fact that he didn't need to do that in terms of growing as an artist uh, in the Mm -hmm. 2000s he didn't need that that wasn't part of the necessity to be an artist these days if you want to be an artist these days in most cases you need like to have this organic fan base to constantly be there for you um but yeah kanye don't (laughs) Kanye don't know who the fuck his fan base is, and I don't know. I don't know to this day who the fuck his fan base is anymore. I don't, I don't know anymore. I really don't. I can't. I can't. I can't pin it down. That's uh, that's kind of fascinating to think about. But yeah, fascinating case study on that front. But yeah, I, I, the only examples I think of when I think about this is because uh, obviously this is a, a mini conversation about stand culture as well. Um, I think of like Nicki Minaj fans and how just disgustingly ravenous they can be just if someone uh, if someone just says anything about Nicki Minaj it's just like zhush, just going like coming to shank mm. you on, t- on online it's just this wow so mob it really is <laughs> I mean Tyler said that on the on one of his tweets it's like mob mentality it really is mob mentality but um yeah I'd, I don't I don't know it's, it really is a uh, y- you've convinced me on the fact that Tyler probably knows who his fan base is but like I don't know, mm-hmm. if I was that, this is probably just me, if I had a fan base like that, I'd be just like, guys, check yourself, check yourself, Yeah. like, I can't, de- I wouldn't be able to deal with that, that's disgusting behaviour, like, if, you, if, you're, if you're a fan of me, then, and I'm bringing this dude on, who, you know, Drake wasn't probably gonna be on there any, in any way, Tyler probably pulled mad <laughs> strings to get this dude on, right? Yeah, he probably went out on a lot a of lo- He put like, in a lot of calls, a lot of favours, yeah. all of that. Mm-hmm. And they just went, nah, fuck it. Not Frank. I'm <laughs> gone. <laughs> You're gone. No, I can't. I'm done with that. I'm done with that. Boo. I'm just like, wow, that's um, that's a bit grim. That's a bit grim. Because, uh, you know, I went to... um, The only possible example I can give the person in, like, first-hand experience is, like... Uh, I went to see uh, Lil Sims. She hosted. She had like her own one day festival in London uh, a couple years ago, and you know there's some there's some good artists there and uh, other and other stuff to do as well. It was uh, it was very 
Uh, I kind of wish I went there for the whole day. I'm, I'm kind of pissed that I didn't. But, uh, you know, before her was just like Mick Jenkins and stuff. And uh, uh, I think like uh, uh, Jungle Pussy as well. Um, and a couple others that are just like, you know, it, it fits the mould. And, you know, when she had and when she did her show, Stormzy came on. Uh, Getz and Chip came on. You know, they're not part they're not part of this kind of vibe going on but because you know she's a london artist and they're london artists it just went it just went kind of well and you know i can't really complain about that kind of stuff um if they're bringing on somebody then you know they brought on somebody and if they rate them they rate them and if i don't then you know if i really yeah. really don't then i'll just leave like i said but um yeah if you're like it, re- it really is like a deep there's a deep conversation here on stand culture that um it's i, I mean you get put in a difficult position as one of these artists, you can, know, yeah, when it imagine. begins to happen. Because think about it, like oftentimes, especially today's day and age, there was probably one point where like you were under fire or under a lot of criticism and your fan base had your back, you know, and you remember that and you're like, mm-hmm. that was, that was real. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I, I love my fan base mm-hmm. for that. They really had my back when everyone was saying that, you know, my album was totally uninspired, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they start going off in some kind of super toxic way. And you basically have two options, right? One, you can just like publicly denounce them and risk alienating them. And if that's the case, you can do that, but you better make some good ass music with your next release <laughs> because no one is going to listen to bad music because you already torpedoed all your biggest fans who would listen to your bad music, you know, mm. either way, mm. like you better really back it up mm. or you can just kind of hands off you know laissez-faire and that is what Nicki Minaj does with all her fans and like her fans start going off super toxically she's always like hey I don't do anything to encourage them or I don't like sick them on people or anything like that it's like ah but you also don't do anything to call them off or tell them to chill out uh or you know hop off cart like stop leaking Cardi B's cell phone number and like threatening her children and stuff you know, and so it's like by inaction, it's also kind of implied endorsement. Exactly. Of it too. Yeah. It's, so it's, even, yeah. it's kind of like a lose-lose situation and it's a relatively new phenomenon because fans didn't used to feel like they knew artists this way yeah. before social media. Mm-hmm. You were like, I know them because I know their music so well. Yeah. And, you know, through that I've read interviews, etc. But nowadays people actually feel like they personally know. Yeah their favorite artists and it's it's just a new phenomenon and uh it's keeps expressing itself in like bigger and bigger and more destructive ways every there's year. a state of delusion there thinking that if you listen to somebody's art you you know them personally it's just it's just stupid it really is dumb to think about like i can if i'm listening to little sims i'm like i can relate uh, and i can vibe to it I don't know the woman. <laughs> I, I appreciate I like, her. I love Kendrick. I love. Ken- I've listened. I'm listening to dissect. I'm going to listen to dissect as we get off here to listen to that uh, new damn episode. I don't know Kendrick. Yeah. Come on, man. It's it's just so. It's a bit delusional. It is a, at the it's same a time. Though, some artists make a front. big deal about how like they pour their soul into these bars, you know, and like this is yeah. their life, and they're like yeah. sharing their innermost thoughts and emotions yeah. with you. Not everyone does that. Not you know, not all artists, but there definitely are a few out there that are yeah. like that. Yeah, I but, can imagine. Uh, like Ari Lennox in one, I, I always think about like because she always yeah. goes on like IG live and just talks about the most random shit. It's kind of entertaining and it kind of 
it's very it's very there's there's a there's a realness there I can I can I can mm-hmm. vibe to and uh, you know but but still I'm not gonna say I know Ari Lennox just because she goes on <laughs> just because she goes on IG live uh, a couple times a week you don't know what she's doing most of the time you know yeah. what I mean it's just not it's just it's it's, it's, it's there's no there's no connect there but um on one you know, on funnily one line, enough on the other side not to cut you off but like I just had a fine. thought uh, you know yeah. Frank Ocean is one artist who. Uh-huh. Has taken the total opposite approach. Yeah. Right? He's Good super withholding show. with information. He Good makes show. damn well sure that no one feels like they know him and know who he is. <laughs> Great. You know, he show. goes yeah. out of his way to do this. Mm-hmm. And he somehow built one of the most toxic fan bases in music, even though they don't have that much to go off of. And, like, they aren't really going off against other people that much. Although, Frank fans will, like, maybe be the first ones to shout fuck Chris Brown in any public setting, even more so than Rihanna fans, maybe. Um, Probably, yeah. But, you know, it's wild because Frank took the opposite direction, but ended up with a very similar result with his fan base as some of these other artists. So it's like, is there, what, what do you do? What's the, what's the solution? I don't know. And it's a, and it's a very fast it's a very fascinating thing to do. I think in answering your uh, like question of what Tyler does, I'm just I I personally would just I think he's done the right thing honestly. I'm just like saying you guys you guys are being trash and 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 stuff like that. I think that's a I think that's the best way to put it, and like, that's probably why I do per, uh, if, if I was in his shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, let's let's be real. You know, some fans can be mad fickle. They could be pissed about all this, but as soon as Tyler drops another record, regardless if it's Eagle level or Flower Boy level, whatever, they're gonna vibe to it. <laughs> they're most likely gonna vibe to it. If you have, if you're gonna like Tyler all this time, and you're gonna get pissed off about this one thing, the fact that he uh, busted his ass and bent over backwards to try and get to try and get Drake on his own fucking festival. You 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 you're kind of you're gonna be fickle. I most nine times out of ten, and they're just gonna be like, Tyler's great. As soon as his album comes through again, as soon as another album yeah. cycle comes, that's just me. I don't know any. I don't know <laughs> uh, how Tyler fans are gonna be at large after this. But I can just think. I feel like this is all gonna blow over, and just like you know, Drake fans can can whine, bitch and moan all they want, um, and Tyler fans can bitch and moan all they want. But at the end of the day, you're all gonna listen to that music, so um, it's yeah. not it's not gonna change. I'm gonna change my I'm gonna fundamentally change my music taste just because of this one <laughs> festival. Save me that, save me that. That's it's hard for an artist to do that, you know, to really torpedo themselves that much that their own fans yeah. will come off it like that. Yeah, it's yeah. really, really tough. Yeah. Now you could now an artist could do it to another artist. Like, I'm going to be real. During, uh, like, the good summer and everything, I did stop listening to Drake for, like, six months. I was like, you know what? <laughs> Pusha T's right. <laughs> Fuck Drake. He should have been, you know, he should have been a better father to his kid, you know, and oh, he doesn't write wow. his shit, like, wow. all this stuff. And I was like, I can't even listen to Drake for, like, six months. You know, and then, like, you know, it all blew over over time. But Drake <laughs> didn't have really anything to do with that. It wasn't like Drake went online and said something, and I was like, oh, no. I'm canceling my favorite artist now. People don't cancel people they love. People cancel people that they have been hating for a while and now have a reason to try to like get a little bit more support for that among the people, you know. 
Yeah. Well, we'll end it on here. Um, give me since you, since you were talking about uh, drag tracks, you like what are your top five drag tracks? Let's yeah, let's, let's give let's give him some let's give him some love. He's feeling bad. Let's give um, him some love. <laughs> he is feeling bad. There's so many. I actually have a playlist on Spotify just called That Good D. <laughs> it's just filled with Drake because he has so, what? <laughs> what? He has so many uh, good tracks. I would probably have to pick several off of Take Care just because that's always been my favorite album of his. Okay. Um, I love Headlines. Okay. One that like no one really ever talks about that is a favorite of mine is We'll Be Fine with Birdman. Okay. On Take Care, that was a great one. Uh, man, so many on here. I Over time, Views has grown on me a wow. lot. You know, it's not like what I typically look for from Drake in the past, but there are a few songs on there, just like Controller or Right Hand, really good stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, I really like, I, I liked a lot of, uh, if you're reading this, it's too late. So, you know, Energy... Mm-hmm. Ten bands, mm-hmm. know yourself, etc. But if it's gonna come down to me, I'm just gonna go ahead and put on "Take Care" and not shuffle that thing. Listen to it straight through. In fact, it's one of only three CDs I still have in my car to this day <laughs> at all times. So, fair. Well, the other two, <laughs> the other two, uh, Channel Orange and Acid Rap. Okay. Okay, that's respectable. Let's see. Largely, acid rap, particularly because um, you just couldn't listen to it for anywhere or anywhere until about like three or four months ago. Good no, point. Unless you had it. So that was the one that was like always in my that's car. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. You're not gonna ask me for my Drake tracks. You don't have any. <sighs> give me. We've give run me out one. of time. I, oh damn! I'm I know this. damn well that you are lying. That there isn't a single Drake song that you would <laughs> like to see alive. Tell me. <laughs> One Drake song that you would like to see live, and then we can end the portion. I'm not going to let you go until you do. I can just end this shit, bro. I want to give a fuck. We run out of time. I do not consent. (laughs) Oh, bro. All right. Um, When it was on the NBA 2K soundtrack, I forgot what year, uh, Headlines was a banger for me. So there you go. There you go. There you go. But we have run out of time. Great track. Oh, peace. Thank you, Carl. <laughs> hopefully, we hopefully we soothed your ego a little bit, Drake. Sorry that happened to you. Yeah, so, I appreciate you, Tyler. Yeah. So so you. deeply sorry. So deep. I, I feel I feel for you. Well, thank, thanks for having me on. Thank Charlie. you very much. <laughs> oh God. So we finish up on film and TV, and uh, just a side note on obviously the previous <laughs> segment, uh, Carter, you need to change that playlist name, bro. <laughs> you gotta change that name, but uh, I digress. Uh, thanks for Carter for coming on once again. Uh, so we're, we're finishing off on film and TV, and I want to talk about uh, this new, well, not even new phenomenon to be honest. Obviously, CGI acting's been very, um, you know, it's been it's been covered. Let's be real. It's been covered uh, for a lot of t- a lot of times, and uh, I think this is a new one where it start. You need to ask the question about: Is this going too far? And some people might say it's not, 
and there's no line for it. And some people will go, yeah, it's, we've already been too far, to be honest. Um, and everyone in between. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna get into this because if you if you haven't heard the story, this is about um, a, 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 a some bunch of filmmakers are going to basically CGI 100% CGI uh, James Dean onto their film, and it's not like a blockbuster film. It's not like a you know heavy studio film. I think it's just some like um, I think it's just some dudes, some filmmakers that just want to that want to make a film basically. But we'll get into that anyway. Uh, so. This is, uh, James Dean is just a beginning critics debate the future of CGI acting by David Ehrlich uh, and uh, IndieWire, and it features uh, many other um, critics uh, in, in the article itself, and I'll obviously shout them out as well as I read. Um, I won't read all of them, I'll just read the ones that I feel um, are worth basically saying, and... Uh, and you can guys can go read the other ones if you feel so. And that's also in the description below, as always. So let's get into this right quick. Uh, between The Irishman, Gemini Man, and Finding Jack, a new movie whose director decided on a uh, computer-generated version of James Dean after searching high and low for the perfect actor to play the lead in their new Vietnam War story, it feels like 2019 was the year when CGI made the leap from be- being something around the performances in a movie to being something about the performances in a new movie. This may not be brand a brand new phenomenon, well, I didn't even notice they said phenomenon, but I said it as well. I said it first. Uh, but it does seem to be an increasingly prevalent one. And even people, uh, and even if people hate it, there's no really, um, there's really no closing uh, Pandora's box. With that in mind, we asked our panel of critics if CGI acting might ever be used to create better movies, or if such digitally, digitally augmented performances are just a slippery slope down towards some very dark places. So the first one I'm going to get into, um, I think I'll get into Edward Douglas's uh, one. He writes for The Beat and The Weekend Warrior. Uh, Oddly, or maybe not so oddly, I immediately thought of the bad that can be done with CG. Maybe because I just had a dream about Adam Sandler making That's My Boy, with him playing both roles of the father of his son using CG a la Gemini Man. Surely that would be the worst possible use of CG, even them bringing James Dean back from the dead. Um, that aside, let's get to the good, and it's nothing important to realise, uh, and it's important to realise that CG is a tool, nothing more, nothing less, just like the movie camera. How filmmakers will use it will be determined by their skill. In some cases, like having a low budget and not enough days to shoot, maybe CG acting can be used to create better performances out of what, what one has. CG is always used to create things like action in movies like Avengers Endgame, where many of the characters in the fight sequences are fully CG. How is that not the same as C- as the CG acting, quote-unquote, that, p- that people are complaining about? Uh, now imagine if an actor gives the greatest performance of their entire career, but due to technical issues, that performance isn't captured as perfectly as hoped. CG could be used to make fixes by having the actor's face scanned in the computer using similar techniques that are that are being used for video games like Death Stranding. Side note, I really want to play that game. <laughs> uh, there, there, there are not many games like I haven't, I haven't been into gaming uh, in about like, oh, well, how long has it been? Like six, seven years, maybe, just a bit less than that, probably about six, five or six years, right? And uh, there, are, there are many times where I'm just like, I want to get a console just to play this game. And it, it hasn't really happened in the past few years, but they're seeing Death Stranding, they're seeing reviews for it, and, and the fact it's Hideo Kojima. 
I really want to play that game, my god. So if anyone wants to lash me like a PS4 or whatever uh, console is on and uh, let me play it, then thank you. But anyway, we get... We get uh, side note, side note over. Uh, where was I at? Oh yeah. Uh, Simitendics are being used for video games like Death Stranding where the main character is Norman Reedus's scanned face and voiceover on a fully CG character, just like the iterations being cited. The cutscenes in that video game would end up costing hundreds of millions of dollars if they were created similarly to a movie, even if readers performed on a green screen. So CG enhanced acting is being used for good in video games, and there's little reason why movies can't follow suit. Now I will say on that front, while I do think he's very correct on pretty much all of that, this isn't the that's not that's not really the conversation I think is being had when it comes to obviously James Dean in this particular film. Norman Reedus is alive, you know what I mean, and he's and he has this full consent to you know do this particular project. James Dean's been dead for eons, you know what I mean. It's just it's weird on that sense to just bring up a dead dude. And who are they gonna ask? Like, does James Dean have an estate? Does do they have any say on this particular thing? It's just a bit weird. It's it's just like me. Um, if I wanted a film, if if I'm doing a film and I wanted, um, who, who's dead? <laughs> uh, I don't know, Michael Clark Duncan, right? Okay, let's, let's say let's say I wanted him, and he's the perfect man for this role. And am I just gonna take his face and take his voice? It's just weird, you know what I mean? It's, it's there's there's a consent there that I think is worth asking for. You know, it's the same with music when uh, if someone wants to use Prince. And he's dead, obviously. If they want to use his music on a particular film soundtrack or whatever, you're going to need to go through some hoops for that. So I think that's the conversation that we're trying to have here. And obviously, um, <laughs> and obviously, uh, uh, Mr. Douglas made a good point on pretty much all of it and the concept of CGI acting. But obviously, I think he got away from the point that was uh, the reason why we're talking about this kind of thing. But anyway, we continue. Uh, so another one here I want to talk about, uh, this is uh, Luke Hicks, who uh, does uh, for Film School Rejects, The Plays and Polygon. I'm not so confident CGI acting can make films better. If so, it's in a way I've yet to see or hear a compelling case for. That said, I don't necessarily think CGI acting plagues every film that employs it. The Irishman is a perfect example of how it can be used well, which is not to say it makes the film better, but it provides a lateral tool of cinematic expression. Sure, it gifted us another epic De Niro-Scorsese collaboration, but it's a relatively neutral move. I can easily imagine a 20-something A-lister playing young Frank Sheeran and all of us getting a kick out of it. Hell, there could have been uh, three or four different actors playing Sheeran at various stages, and I'm sure we would have had a ball bouncing between stars. But I thought Scorsese and company pulled off the Nero CGI aging well. I never found it distracting. If anything, I was impressed by the CGI craftsmanship. I'm more concerned with how something like the James Dean iteration could be twisted and abused. It raises some good questions, at least. Will actors start losing jobs to dead CGI stars? Is Judy Garland about to be a standout performer again? Will a young Paul Newman resurface as a teen heartthrob in 15 years after a few good quote-unquote performances? What will major studios like Disney, who only cares about the profit mo- profit margins, profit margins, uh, approaches art like suits, approach the stock market, and has no spine when it comes to originality, the creative agency of filmmakers, or the social autonomy of the masses? Do they uh, do if they can make a star-studded film? 
uh, without having to pay for real actors. And just consider how deep the pool of the entire history of A-listers in Hollywood, uh, it will be an endless source of wealth. Are we going to start getting, uh, start getting Star Wars movies in 25 years with uh, sprightly CGI Hans, Leia's and Luke's? Will Disney's live-action remake tactics shift to classics with dead stars? We will, start, uh, will we start praising CGI animations for their realistic acting manifestations instead of actors themselves? Is Bojack right? Would CGI manifestations be eligible for awards? Of course, all of these uh, things seem distant, but maybe we're in the eye of the storm. And, uh, and the threat is much closer than it seems. So this is obviously why I was kind of getting that in terms of responding to what Mr. Douglas said. This is These are the questions I think needs to be asked in terms of how this is going to work. Um, and, another, and, you know, I uh, forgot to do his name, my bad, Mr. Hicks. You know, if he, he didn't say obviously what I was um, saying in terms of, um, you know, uh, uh, permission to use these people's likeness. Um, considering that they're dead and they can't say anything about it. But regardless, he makes a very good questions on asking these things. Like, you know, are they just going to do this instead of taking actors' jobs? You know, in The Irishman, I don't know how... I haven't seen it. Um, I don't know how many uh, years, that how, how many, like, uh, iterations of De Niro they go through in terms of ageing. But, you know, they could have been they could have been several actors there. And they there could have been several actors that con, con, could have gotten their big break in that fashion, you know. Think of um, think of Moonlight in that sense. They could have they could have just gotten Travante <laughs> Travante Rhodes, and then they just uh, as as the dude as the as the male Chiron as the uh, the adult Chiron, and they could have just made him younger and then made him younger. They could have done it. I'm glad they didn't, but they could have. This is this is what we're talking about, and also that's a bit of an extreme sense of going about it because because there is very formative years in terms of um, going through moonlight. Uh, it's like a it's like a ten year old, and then fifteen, and then twenty uh, something. You know, so obviously very formative uh, compared to an adult Sheeran, an adult uh, De Niro, and then an old De Niro like he is now. Obviously, it's very different, but. Those are the conversations that need to be had, and I think these are the things that need to be accounted for and prepared for as well. Um, I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to say it's a bleak future, but that is kind of the bleak, the bleakest possible future, the worst case scenario in terms of using all this. Um, you know, I watched Gemini Man. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it for what it was, um, and it. And it kind of works for what it is. The story is that's the point of the story. That's the the CGI was the plot device. That's the you know without the CGI, it doesn't ma- it doesn't really make sense. You know, it's the clone of Will Smith, and he's younger. CGI face, of course. You know, it makes it ma- it's logic. It's logical on that front. Um, but I can <laughs> people ain't gonna use uh, CGI so um, carefully as Gemini Man did, or as the Irishman did in, in uh, how they're talking about the film. They're not going to do that. So I do find it just uh, very fascinating in that case of just um, how how filmmakers are going to go about this, because I don't think, um, I, don't, I don't, you know, just to be real, I don't trust, <laughs> I don't trust people like Disney to do it, and to, to use it properly. They could easily just do these Star Wars films and just remake them and just literally when if Mark when Mark Hamill's dead and the you know years years ahead when Mark Hamill's dead and when Harrison Ford's dead 
they can easily just do it again, and they have the, they have the footage, <laughs> they have their footage, and they have their faces on lock. So you know they could easily do it. It could easily happen, and I think that's something they're worth talking about. Um, one more I'll give, and then I'll head it and I'll uh, finish it there. Uh, this is by Lindsay Romain of Nerdist. Um, it's hard to answer this question given how morally opposed I am to this sort of technology even existing. Okay, so this is this is the person that's way behind uh, in terms of. Um, I don't want to say behind, that way uh, <clears throat> unsupporting of this entire technology. So she's like, CGI shouldn't even exist at all. Um, so that's a kind of interesting way of going about this. So um, there's something so ghoulish about recreating a dead per- person's likeness without their explicit consent. There we go. And I'm not really sold out, uh, sold on the de-aging thing either. But yes, it's something we have to contend with and accept and something we'll absolutely see more of. I would hope that actors start making clauses in their wills that either grant or banish their permission for any post-death recreating. I feel like that's a good first step. I also think it wor- uh, works best when it's limited to a scene or two, or seen from a distance. I imagine the Tarkin stuff in Rogue One would have worked better if we saw him from the shadows or in profile. It conjures the idea without creating something distracting the uncanny valley. I really wish when it comes to the de-aging technology that creators would start relying more on strong casting to do the work. I think movies like Looper or even TV shows like Mindhunter that show that good actors and well-placed prosthetics do a good enough job of creating likeness. I know that's a false hope and that we're way more likely to see young rubber face CGI versions of our favourite uh, beloved actors and many of them don't seem all that bothered in participating in this. I guess I'm hopeful we'll get some loud and vocal opposition to it that will start calling the practice into question so yeah i think those are great uh three great opinions to look at this and um i do wonder what you guys opinions on this are um i don't know if you're completely against it or completely for it or whatever um i do think there's a middle ground to be found here um i think summing up how i think about it and i've you know i've already said it multiple times but i'll just uh you know just lock it down you know i'm not completely against cgi um um, not for it either. Um, I think if it's used as a genuine plot device or, you know, is actually rooted in the foundations of the narrative, then sure, I'm I'm down for it and it actually has reason to be used. But if you can just if you can do it do the get the job done with, you know, like like she said, um I don't want to say she, I wanna say her name please. I wanna say it properly, uh, Miss Romaine. You know if you can do it with strong casting or prosthetics Something like that, you know. If you can, if you can do it without using CGI, do it. I think do it because it, it most of the time, nine times out of ten, is just logically better, and it just looks better for on the eye. But even with that said, I'm not really hopeful that um, it's going to be used um, properly, and that's just a bit of a shame. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen. That's been what's good. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Um, once, once again, thanks to Carl Fowler for uh, hopping on and um, discussing joke with me because I cannot never be trusted on that front. <laughs> and I thought it was a worthy conversation. I hope you guys enjoyed that uh, little little tidbit. Uh, but yeah, uh, from the Fifth Point Podcast Network, I've been Charlie Taylor. This has been what's good. Uh, intro music is Too Much by Vanilla. Interlude music is Vista by Poldor. You can find all their music via Bandcamp in the links below. Shout out to Chihot Records for the ability to use this music. You can find their entire music discography in the Bandcamp link in the description below as well. And on that note, I think that's it. Uh, have a good week, everybody. I shall always, always try and do the same. 
And until the next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen.